0: Yeah, where are all those Hulkamaniacs at? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, well, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> I, I tell you that, I, I had, I am a real American going through my head on an incessant loop throughout this entire week, bringing back memories from Our fourth and fifth graders, Kickstart. You guys are dismissed. I <laughs> One of these days, I swear to you, I will remember. I promise. but I, but I tell you, it, it did bring back yeah <laughs> it, it did bring back a lot of, a lot of memories. Uh, I was a, a big wrestling fan. In the 80s, I loved Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, and it, it was fun just kind of going through just uh, some of the, the wrestlers that we remembered. Uh, there was the Legion of Doom, I don't know if you remember the natural disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon, and uh, I mean, it, like, it, the Macho Man, like, I mean, it was an amazing, an amazing time, and then, and then I drifted away from wrestling uh, until I was in college. And I, like, I then, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, like, when Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and, you know, the under, like, I mean, it was, like, the heyday of of wrestling. So, like, this has been just kind of a, a fun, uh, just a fun series to be putting together and be talking about. But but one thing, before we even get into our, our wrestling series today, I just wanted to just give a shout-out to a couple people that Kyle and Colleen... And Logan and Brittany, they took our middle school students to a CIY event up in Holland, Michigan this week and had an amazing, amazing time um, I, just of, of worship. They stayed at Hope College, just had some amazing teaching. There were, there were decisions that were made for Christ um, in that. And so, so uh, just Kyle and Logan and Colleen and, and Brittany, I just want to tell you guys just a huge thank you. Can we just appreciate them for just being with our middle school students I, I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for you guys that you took time off this week just to pour into our middle school uh, students and just incredibly thankful for you. And, but also, just like I, I just wanted to share with you just how, how amazing it is and dedicated our student ministry leaders and volunteers are that we had numerous people with both our seismic and our element retreat that took vacation time. They took time off of work so that they could go to on, on these retreats, go to the conference and pour into our students. And, and just what an amazing thing that is. I, I'm so incredibly grateful for all of you that are just pouring into our kids, but also for all of you that prayed for our students over the, the week that they were up in Holland, the week the week that we were out in West Virginia, those that supported them by buying the, the popcorn fundraiser we had, the coffee fundraiser, um, those that donated and purchased things at the rummage sale. Like, you guys helped make this possible. And, and just as as a church body, as a church family, um, I, do, I just want to say thank you just for being a part of a church that values our next generation, that doesn't just pay lip service to them, but actually, like, is behind, is supporting uh, and, and loving and investing in our next generation. So I, I just want to say just thank you. Well done, Living Stones. So... Um, as we start this uh, this wrestling series this morning, I, I wanted to open up just by sharing uh, with you something that you may or may not be fully aware of, that you may or may not have heard about before, but there's, there's a debate that's raging right now that has very passionate people and passionate arguments on both sides of it. The, this debate has caused rifts within relationships, tempers have flared, there have been social media firestorms about this, this same topic. Athletes, entertainment personalities, news organizations, universities, Supreme Court justices, even former presidents have weighed in on this vigorous debate. And it's the age old question is, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> it, is a hot dog a sandwich? Now, it, this is a hard question. It's a tough one because like, I can see the arguments on both sides of of the of the debate so we're gonna just take a very informal poll and so I I want you just you can raise your your hand you can make noise whatever you want to do when I ask. so if you would say that a hot dog is not a sandwich let me hear you okay alright alright if you think that a hot dog is a sandwich let me hear from you wow We are, it seems pretty fair, evenly divided here. Um, Just so you know, if you think it is a sandwich, you're wrong. But I'm I'm just saying. But there, there there have been articles written in the Atlantic magazine about this, in Time magazine, Reader's Digest, Discover magazine about whether a hot dog is a sandwich. There have been master's theses written about this topic. There have even been Star Wars memes that have been generated. If you can put this one, like I I came across this and it just cracked me up. If you can't read it, Obi-Wan is saying, I failed you, Anakin, I failed you. And Anakin says, I should have known you would think a hot dog is a sandwich. And Obi-Wan says, Anakin, it's meat between bread. And Anakin says, from my point of view, it belongs in its own separate category. And Anakin says, well, then you are lost. There's Star Wars memes. There have been debates on cable and network news shows. Like, like, they literally have, like, they put it on the screen of, like, these arguments about whether a hot dog is a sandwich. There's there somebody that took the time and put together what they call their sandwich alignment chart. <laughs> and so you have, like, the structural purists and the ingredients, you know, and, and, the, and, and so you can kind of see, like, where you fit in all of that. So I I love the Pop-Tart in the bottom right, which is just radical sandwich anarchy, (laughs) because it doesn't quite fit either the structure nor the ingredients, but I, I just found that hilarious. And I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, the NHDSC, and their organization has actually put out statements about whether A hot dog is a sandwich, which, of course, they say it's not a sandwich. A hot dog is its own entity. And there's also even stats about this. So if you can put that up there, depending on where you live in the country, depending on what age you are, can influence... Oh, was it not up there? Can can influence what you feel about this debate about whether a hot dog is a sandwich. And, And if this shows us anything, it's this idea that we can find absolutely anything to argue about and find anything that we can disagree about. Like, there, there's no there's no end to it. And, and obviously, you know, this is just kind of a, a silly, you know, ingest argument, But but the fact remains that there are all sorts of things that on a constant daily basis that we find ourselves in dispute about, that we find ourselves disagreeing about. Like, life would be so much simpler if we could just put things in, in just one or two categories, if things were just either either black or white, and, and we could just sort things out and just fit them in a nice, neat, particular box. All right, good guys over here, bad guys over there. Good choices here, Bad choices there. Sandwich here, Not a sandwich there. But life is way more complex than that. That as much as we would love for everything to, to fit into just nice, neat little boxes, as much as we may wish that things were just black and white. And, and no doubt there are. There are some definite absolutes where, where things are absolutely black or absolutely white. But I would argue that, that most things, many things in, in our lives, fall in that vast gray area in the middle. This giant gray space in the middle. And, and as followers of Jesus that are trying to, to share him, that are trying to live lives that are faithful to him and represent Jesus to the world around us, we have to be okay with the fact that we live in a world that's not all black and white. That if we're going to make a difference in this world, we have to learn to be comfortable with nuance, with ambiguity, with things not always fitting into a nice, neat box. And, and so that's what this series is, is about. Like, how do we wrestle with some of these things where, where, where there doesn't always seem like a clear-cut right and wrong, a, a clear-cut answer it? How do we handle it when sincere people who love Jesus come down on differing sides of the same issue? Like, how, how do we handle that? How do we work through that? I, I like the idea of wrestling for a variety of reasons because it's supposed to be like this, this back and forth battle between two warriors. In fact, the, the word wrestle means to contend or to grapple with. And that's what we're going to do in this series. Well, I, I want us to, my, my prayer for us at the end of this series is that we might view ourselves with a bit more humility and have a greater level of, of grace and understanding for those who land in a different place than we do. That as followers of Christ, as people that are trying to, to live this thing out, what, is it, what does it mean? What does it look like for us to interact with those that maybe look at the same issue and we arrive at different Conclusions, even those who are wrong and think that a hot dog is a sandwich. Like, how do we how do we live and coincide with people that have differing viewpoints with us? And and so to start this series, I want to begin with a statement that's not just going to kind of set the stage for this whole series, but is really something that if we can uh, put into practice in in our lives overall. And it's this idea that God is not intimidated by our questions. It's okay for us to ask questions. Us wrestling with questions, us wrestling with our faith, asking questions, it's not a bad thing. God is not intimidated by our questions, nor is he angry or upset with us when we ask these questions, when we struggle with them, when we wrestle with some of these questions. Because when we're wrestling with some of these these struggles and some of these issues about how we live out this Christian walk, it's not a bad thing. In fact, I would argue that that if you are asking questions, if you are wrestling with some of these things, it, and grappling with some of these life issues, it's a healthy and it's a necessary thing. When it's done with the right heart and with the right attitude, it shows that no, no, no I'm taking my faith seriously. I, I, I want, I want to, I want to figure out right, what does this really mean. What, what does it look like to live this thing out well? Now, of course, there, there are are bad reasons, there, there are wrong reasons to do so, like if those that are just trying to find loopholes or, or trying to say, all right, what can I get away with and still be considered a Christian? Or, or, or maybe I'm just trying to figure out, how do I justify this thing that I've already decided in my heart? But us asking questions and wrestling with issues is not a, a sign of a lack of faith or lack of maturity. I would actually argue it's the exact opposite, that when we do wrestle and we, when we do ask questions... It's a sign that we are taking our faith seriously. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, and this is from the message version. He says, We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees it, knowing him directly just as he knows us. Like, Paul, Paul is right, and he's saying, all right, in this world, in, in, our, in our human flesh that we live in, we're not going to see everything clearly. We're not going to know everything. If you've ever driven through a thick fog, like, and you, you know, maybe you can just barely make out the taillights of the car in front of you, or you can just barely see the headlights of the car behind you, and you can't even, you can't see the, the outline, you can't see the, the details, you might not be able to see the colors of it. You can just faintly see that it's there. And that's, that's, what, that's what Paul is talking about. That's what God is saying here, is that we don't know everything right now. In this world, there are things that are not clear. And as much as we, we might wish that God made everything crystal clear for us, an awful lot of things he did not. There's an awful lot of things that God has not made crystal clear, that, that he wants us to grapple with, to wrestle with, to contend with. And he himself saying, you know, no, you, you as human beings are living in this world where things are not always going to be clear. You're not always going to see. And so ask those questions. Wrestle, grapple with them. And so saying that, and it's going to be so important for us to remember this throughout this entire series, is this idea that following Jesus requires humility. Following Jesus requires humility, that we don't know it all, that we don't have all the answers, that we can have our, our beliefs and we can have our convictions, but we should also be willing to hold them with an open hand, recognizing that, that, that I'm, you know, we might be doing our best to, to faithfully follow Jesus and live out the scriptures, but recognizing there are other people that are faithfully following Jesus and trying to live out the scriptures that may land at a different spot, come to a different conclusion than we do. Recognizing that we're all at different places in our journey, in our walk with God, there are sometimes every single one of us in this room. We are at a different spot in our in our walk and our journey with God. There are things that I'm not okay with now that I used to be okay with before, and there's things I'm okay with now that God has given me freedom in that I wasn't okay with before. And every single one of us, we're on that journey, we're on that path together, and so it's going to look different for. Every single one of us. We're not all at the same place. But we have to be okay with the fact and, and understanding that God is working on our brothers and sisters in Christ around us. That they might be at a different spot than we are. That, that through their experience and through their lens and, and through the things that God is doing in them, they might see an issue differently than we might see it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter tells us to humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty right hand, that he might lift us up in due time, that that humility is one of the the greatest spiritual disciplines that we can learn. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to live a life of faith with those around us, we have to have a humble heart before God and before others. And, And just one final thing I want to say, just kind of setting this series up, is this idea that I don't know everything but I can also learn from others who have different experiences. I don't know everything, but I can learn from others that have different experiences than I do. And so as we walk through this series, I want us to to walk into it with open minds, with open hearts, that that there are different people, there are different faithful followers of Jesus that might have a, a, a different point of view that we need to hear, that we need to listen to. Mark Allen Powell he was a professor of New Testament studies at Trinity Lutheran Church or, excuse me Trinity Lutheran College in Columbus Ohio and he, he retired a few years back but a, but a number of years ago he did kind of this uh, this study that he's written about multiple times and and in this in this study what he did is he he shared the story of the prodigal son with different ethnic and cultural groups around the world and then he asked them questions about it. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole prodigal son story, but the, the younger son, he goes and he takes his father's inheritance, and, and he, he squanders it in, in wild living, and he ends up finding himself in a pig pen, eating the same slop that the pigs are eating. And what Professor Powell asked these different ethnic and cultural groups around the world, he said, okay, why did he end up where he did? Why did he end up in that pig pen eating the same slop that the pigs did. And the overwhelming answer he received when he asked people in Russia this was they said he ended up in that pig pen because there was a famine in the land. And so he had no other resources. He was, And if you read the account, he talks about that, that there was a famine in the land. And so he had no other resources, so he was eating the same food that the pigs were eating. The over, overwhelming answer he received when he asked people In Africa, this was that there was nobody around him to help him in his time of need. There was nobody there to help lift him up. And so that's why he was sitting in this pig pen eating the pig slop. The overwhelming answer he received in America was that he was responsible because he squandered his own resources. He was kind of reaping what he sowed in a way. Now, is there a right or wrong answer to this question? I would argue no, like each each person, each different cultural or ethnic group was approaching this same topic from their shared experience that they've had. We've not experienced many famines here in America. That's not an uncommon experience that, that people in Russia have, I mean millions of people have died in Ukraine and Russia through famines. Like, so, so we have to understand that the way that we approach Scripture, the way that we approach topics and things in our life are as heavily influenced by our life experience and us knowing and recognizing that we don't know it all and that there are things we can learn from those that have a different life experience than we have. This takes a, a healthy dose of humility for us to recognize that, that my history and my education and my, my cultural upbringing... My life experience, they all influence how I I read scripture, how I interact with it, how I interact with others and issues around us. And it would be wise for us to, to eat some humble pie occasionally and recognize there are lots of people around us, that they have different experiences, and they might approach a topic from a totally different point of view, and we can learn some things from them just as they can learn from us. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of the most contentious topics that we face today, and it's it's politics, politics. This is an issue that has torn churches apart. It's a topic that has torn families apart. I I know family members that don't speak to one another because of differing political views. I I see people, I, I, I know friends that don't speak to one another because of differing political views and political opinions. Hey, on, on social media, like I, I've seen people who freely have said that they're going to unfriend those who have differing political views than they have themselves. We, we've had people leave our church because they felt they couldn't worship alongside people that had different political points of view than they had. That's a sad reality. And so heartbreaking that to hear that because we can have differing political views, we can have differing opinions about how we tackle the, the difficult, troubling uh, issues that, that face us as a country and as a people, but it should not be something that causes such division. And politics sure is causing division. There, there was a, an article that I read that talked that a poll was done in 2021, and it said that 46% of Americans thought that a civil war was likely in their lifetime. Like that's horrifying. Just before the 2020 election, another poll was done, and almost 40 percent of voters said that they would support their state seceding from the union if their candidate lost. Like, think about that. I I mean, I mean, it it is a it is a terrible place where where we don't just have a difference of opinion now. No, no. Like you you are a flawed human being if you have a different opinion than I have. That you are evil, that you are immoral, that that I can't even associate with you if you have a different point of view. That's that's a terrible place to be as a society. It's it's ugly out there. And the sad reality is that I've seen and, and heard so many people who profess to be Christians as well that have become more and more extreme and more elevated and more confrontational in their rhetoric as it relates to politics too on both sides of the aisle. And I, should, I shouldn't need to say this, but, but I, it, it has to be said that there is no one political party that has a monopoly on God. There, there, there's no one political party whose platform neatly aligns with Scripture. I, I heard it once said before that if you find yourself agreeing with every stance of your political party, you're more likely being discipled by your politics than you are being discipled by Jesus. Because Jesus, this book does not neatly line up in one political camp or another. And in preparing for this message, I read an article by Scott Salds. He, he's a, an author and a pastor. He uh, used to serve at Tim Keller's church in, in New York. And, and he wrote a, an amazing article that I, that I thought he offered a great illustration about the conundrum that we have about people of faith, people within the church wrestling with politics And he says, there can be two churches in the same city but have different zip codes and different life circumstances. The members of both churches affirm that 100% of the Bible is God's word, it's absolutely true, and that they are doing their best to submit their entire lives to it. And yet strangely, most members in church in zip code A will say, it's hard for me to fathom how a person can simultaneously be a Christian and vote Democrat. While most members of the church in zip code B will say, it's hard for me to fathom how a person can simultaneously be a Christian and vote Republican. What's going on in this two-church scenario is that there are only two possibilities. Either one church really gets the Bible on the subject of politics, and the other church, even though its members are sincerely committed to the Bible, are just not intelligent enough to understand the Bible correctly. (laughs) Or that both churches are sincerely committed to the Bible, but they also have significant blind spots. In other words, they need each other in order to understand the Bible more accurately and to live more faithfully. As Christina Cleveland has said, the best way to understand what our blind spots spots are is to get into a personal relationship with other Christians who have divergent political views. And I I thought that was an amazing illustration that we can have... We can have people within our own church who love Jesus, doing their best to to faithfully follow after Him, and have vastly different political points of view. And it doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. It doesn't mean that that one is more mature and understands Scripture more and the other is not. It doesn't mean that at all. People who sincerely love Jesus and are trying to live a life that's that's honoring, glorifying to him can arrive at different conclusions. Like this happened even with Jesus' own disciples. Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. Simon was a zealot. He was actively working against the Roman government. He was trying to subvert the Roman government. And yet they were both friends. They both worked together. They both faithfully walked and served the Lord together. And I would use this as an example of something that we ought to examine in our own life. And I would call it a hierarchy of loyalties. That our loyalty to Jesus and His kingdom must always exceed our loyalty to any earthly agenda, whether political or otherwise. Our loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom should always, must always, supersede any other earthly loyalty that we might have. We can have a a political stance, we can have firmly held political beliefs, but that should never supersede our loyalty to God and to his kingdom, to the church that we belong to. And so I want to kind of examine this and look at this through a, a theme that's prevalent throughout Scripture, from the very beginning to the very end. And it's one that's addressed in both Old Testament and New Testament. And Peter introduces it in his first letter. I want to just read the first two verses from 1 Peter to you. It says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to God's elect, exiles, Scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This idea that, that really goes throughout Scripture is the idea of, of being an exile. In fact, this the the theme of, of being exiles is, is something I would love to do a, a future entire sermon series on. But I want to just kind of say this for us, that, that right now for us today, this is not something that just took place when, when the Bible was written. This is something that's very applicable for us where we are today, that we are exiles in this world. That if we are followers of Jesus, we are exiles here in this world, And an exile is someone who is forced out of their country and is now living somewhere else. An exile is someone who is forced out of their country and is now living somewhere else. This is the idea that I would love to do a sermon series on sometime. And it's this theme, this idea that starts all the way back in the garden. When Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they're then forced to live as exiles in the world. That they were created to live within the garden. But now they were being forced to live out in the world. They were exiles in the world. The the Israelites, they were exiles when they lived in Egypt. And when they eventually came back home to the promised land, they, they lived there for many years, but then they were attacked by Babylon. And they were taken to Babylon and were in exile yet again, living in a foreign land with different beliefs, different dress, different languages, different foods. That they were not at home. And even when the Israelites returned back to the promised land again, when they left Babylon and came back home, eventually they, they were then overrun by the Romans and they were exiles again. They were exiles in their own land, in their own territory, but they were living as exiles in a way. They did not have the free, that freedom and autonomy there. Like, I, have, have you ever been in a, in a party or a social situation? And you were there, and you felt like, man, I just don't quite fit in here. Like, I, I feel like I just don't quite fit in with those around me. Or, or maybe you've been, like, in between homes, where, where you, you sold one home, and you're not living at your old home now, but your new home, you're just still in boxes, and you're not settled there either, and you just kind of feel like you're in this in-between place. And that's the idea here, that, that we're present, but we're not actually home. We live in this world, but we don't quite fit in here. Paul wrote about this idea in his letter to the believers in Philippi, in in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like His glorious body." Now, I want you to think about this, what, what Paul is saying here. If you could put verse 20 back up on the screen. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul was a Roman citizen. And this was a rarity at this time. Like, and part of being a Roman citizen is he had privileges that many other people, many other Jews at the time, did not have. They, they, he, he got to enjoy things that others, many, many others, did not get to enjoy. His citizenship in Rome brought him privileges. And yet, with the great advantage of being a Roman citizen, he emphatically tells us that, that our citizenship is not in Rome, our primary citizenship is not here in the United States, that we are citizens of heaven first, first and foremost. Like I, I'm so thankful to be an American. I'm thankful that I won the genetic lottery and was born in, in this amazing country. Well, I, And with all of its faults and failings throughout the years, America still is an amazing place. And I'm grateful. I'm thankful to, to live in the United States. But we are exiles even here, even in the United States. We may live here, but our, our citizenship is in heaven. Our primary citizenship is not here. There, there, there are churches that sing patriotic songs around the fourth of july or around memorial day I, I know of churches that say the pledge of allegiance in their church service I, and i'm just going to say that's never going to happen at this church as long as i'm the pastor here because while i'm grateful to be an american i'm grateful for this amazing country that we get to live in our citizenship is in heaven it's not here and that's our primary loyalty i talked about the hierarchy of loyalties our primary loyalty is being citizens of heaven. And so because we're exiles, because we're not at home, because in the, the hierarchy of loyalties, being a citizen of heaven is way higher than being a citizen of the United States. With all that in mind, it would do well for, that, for us to, to be cognizant of that when it comes to our politics. Like Our, our political discourse has gotten more and more uh, coarse more and more cruel, more vicious, and that ought not be the case. I I read uh, a newsletter that David French wrote a couple weeks back, and and he was sharing how he gave gave three examples that, that took place just within the span of about two days of three politicians who profess to be Christians that made some extremely crude, vulgar, and hurtful comments about their political opponents. And it was justified. It was justified because, well... Because I'm right. <laughs> They're wrong. And so that justified, that made it okay to say some of those things. But this was, that's the exact opposite of the way that Jesus directs us to engage in culture, especially a culture in which we are exiles. When we look at Jesus' life, when we looked at the way that he interacted with the hostile, hostile cultural environment that he lived in, because, because Rome, they were, they were brutal overlords. Brutal overlords. And Jesus gives a model for us about how we ought to engage in politics, how we ought to engage in culture as exiles in this world. We don't run from culture. We don't run from culture. We don't try to hide, we don't try to hide from it. We don't try to bury our heads in the sand. Pretend like, all right, I'm just not going to participate at all. So we, we don't hide from culture. We don't assimilate into the culture. We don't become just like all of those around us and we lose our primary identity. We don't war with culture. We don't fight and battle and engage in the endless culture wars that do nothing but actually create more division. But Jesus' model was that we are to influence the culture. We don't run from it. We don't assimilate to it. We don't war with the culture, but we actually... Influence it. Instead of using politics as, as a bludgeon to those we, we disagree with, we can look for ways to influence the culture that's around us. Not, not by force, not by fiat, but through our witness, through our faithfulness, through our love for one another. That we're living in a way that seems so countercultural that it can't help but make a difference. And not only was that the example that, that Jesus gave, that was also the, the same example that was given in the Old Testament as well. That I shared with you that the Israelites, they had been attacked by the Babylonians. Babylon, they came and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They, they came and essentially kidnapped many of the Israelites, those that, that were living in Jerusalem, and took them away to Babylon. And while they were in exile in Babylon the prophet Jeremiah actually gives some instructions for, for how they ought to interact with the culture around them. As they were exiles, how do they engage politically? How do they engage with the culture that was around them? And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, He says, this is what I want you to do. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So th- think about what's actually being said there for a moment. What God is saying through Jeremiah to those in exile. He's saying that the, the very people that came and, and destroyed your homeland, the very people that came and destroyed your temple and destroyed your way of life. He says, I don't want you to, I don't want you to, to sit and, and run and hide away from this foreign culture that you're in don't completely withdraw. He says, no, participate in it. Build houses, live in them. Plant gardens and eat. Get married, have kids. He doesn't say to wage war against the foreign culture. He says, no, no, what I want you to do is I want you to seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of Babylon. Pray for the city. Pray for those who destroyed everything that you held dear. Pray for those that kidnapped you and took you away from your home. Seek the welfare of the city. The NIV says to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. They weren't supposed to just like wait out their exile. They weren't supposed to just sit and pray and say, all right, God, we need you just to take this away. No, we are to seek the welfare, the peace and prosperity of the city that we're living in. That that should be our primary aim when it comes to how we engage in politics, how we engage with the culture around us. Not to, not owning the libs, not trying to win political battles, not, not just you know, seeking to, to win the midterm so that my, my team has the power. But as exiles living in a place that is not our true home, we seek what's good for the whole. Not just what I perceive to be good for me, or for my team, or my family, or my belief system. But to do what's best for the whole. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul writes, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. What Jeremiah said just prior to that, he, he said, when you seek the welfare of the city, when, when, when Babylon does well, you're going to be doing well. And when the church seeks, is seeking after and, and achieves power for itself, the church's effectiveness always suffers without exception. The church is always at its best when it's the underdog when it's countercultural and not seeking to be a power broker, when it's not pursuing its own best interest, but it, when the church pursues what's in the best interest and overall welfare and flourishing of everyone around us. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go out and seek what was best for him. He sought what was best for those that followed him. He sought what was best for those that despised him. He sought what was best for those that spit on him and whipped him and ultimately murdered him. He didn't seek what was in his best interest. He sought what was in the best interest of those around him. And so I want to close with one final thought on, what it, on, on just this idea of political engagement for those of us that are, are followers of, of Jesus, believers. And it's this idea that our faith should influence our politics, not our politics influencing our faith. That our faith ought to influence our politics, not our politics influencing our faith. When, when it comes to our, our political engagement and how we participate in culture, thinking of that, that what I call the hierarchy of loyalties, that, are, that our loyalty to, to Christ and his kingdom and, and his church should always supersede our loyalty to any political party, political candidate, or even, even country. Jesus said that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And as exiles in the world in which we live in, let's not be discipled by our political parties. By Let's not be discipled by our candidates. But allow Jesus to fully disciple and transform us. That, that our politics should not just be like a separate entity. It's just something I do. It's a separate part of my life. But know that our, our politics and our political engagement ought to be an extension of the transformation that the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. And if we look at it that way, instead of how do, I, how do I defeat my political opponents, how do I defeat those people I disagree with, it changes the way that we think about how we vote, how we engage in politics. Like, po- politics ought to be a wrestling match for us. We should, we should struggle to fit into a political party or political ideology. The political parties around us, it should be uncomfortable for us to sit in one camp or another because we're not of this world. We're citizens of heaven first. And that's where our ultimate loyalty lies. And at the end of the day, this is kind of what I wanted to close with. That at the end of the day, there are people that love Jesus all across the political spectrum. There, there are people who, who love Jesus and are faithful to the Scriptures that are pro-life and pro-choice, that are for the death penalty and against the death penalty, that want tax cuts. I think we ought to raise taxes on the rich. Like, I, I mean, they're, they're, uh, that are for gun control. I, I mean, we could go down the list. There are people that love Jesus and are faithfully following Him that fall all across the political spectrum. And for us as followers of Jesus, we should be more at home with people that share our faith and have differing politics than those that have the same politics but differing faith. Like we, we, ought, we ought to, that our faith is, ought to be the thing that unites us and not divides us. So if you would, bow your heads for me and let me just pray for us this morning. that Lord, we, we, we just love you and thank you, God, for who you are. God, we we thank you for for being so good to us, Lord. We thank you, God, for for setting an example for us about what it looks like to engage in politics, what it looks like to engage in culture. That we don't need to, we don't need to run and hide from it, God. That we don't need to. We don't need to run and hide. We don't need to try to assimilate into the culture. We don't need to war against the culture, God. You've called us to influence it, and and God, I I ask, Lord, that that as we Evaluate where, where we stand politically, how, how we engage with others when it comes to politics, Lord, that, that we would do it in a way that is life-giving and honoring to you, Lord, that, that ultimately seeks the welfare of all those around us, that, that, that we would live lives just like Jeremiah talked about, that we would build houses and live in them, that, that we wouldn't retreat, that we would participate in the culture, Build gardens and, and eat the produce. God, that we would we, that we would engage in relationship with, with, with others and those around us. But ultimately, Lord, that we would seek the welfare of this place where we find ourselves as, as exiles. God, that you would use us to shine a light, to show a different way. In such a, a divided, uh, hate filled world when it comes to politics, Lord, that you would use us to highlight a different road forward of what it looks like to be engaged in political, cultural discourse with one another. God, we we just ask for your help. Ask for your blessing as we go about doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.